Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 45 of the In the 11 podcast, hosted by myself, Brendan Griffiths. Today's episode has uh, another repeat guest, but as with any of the professional footballers that we have on this podcast, from one episode to the next, a lot can change in their story, a lot can change in their career, and a lot can change in their life. So that is no different with this one bringing Khadiv back on the show. We talk about his hopes of going to Germany, how that kind of fell through, where he's at now. And then we also talk quite a bit about his new business, the Footy Creed. So it's an awesome episode to learn a lot from him. If you want to check out Khadiv's socials and his Footy Creed page, I will link all that down below for those of you interested in learning more about what that business entails. Those of you who want to continue to support the podcast, please go ahead and click the Patreon link down below and become a patron of the show. That would be much appreciated. And don't forget, if you want to get your jerseys, if you want to get your kits, head over to Mystery Sport and use code in the 11 at checkout to get suited up for the season this year. So with that being said, here's Khadiv. Thank you all so much for your support of the podcast. And here's the show. All right. We are joined by another repeat guest. Khadiv is back with us for his second episode in the 11. For those of you who want to check out his first episode all the way back, you're going to go all the way back to episode 16, hear about his time in college, a little bit of his journey in the early days of when he first popped out overseas. But we got a lot more to talk about today. Some uh, more recently, because I think we did our last episode a year ago now, maybe even more than a year ago, but it's been a while. So we got some we got some updates and we got some new business ventures to talk about, which we will all get into those in just a moment. Khadiv, thanks for popping back on. Oh, it's, it's great to be here. Of course. Of course. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so the last time we spoke to you, you were in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just spoke before press and record here. And since then, you've been, you were in Scotland, went to Germany. Now you're in England. So help us put those dots together and in, into what, what went on when you went to Germany and, and maybe now why we're back in England. Because of this COVID season, uh, getting a visa one to even travel to Germany was tough. Yeah. I went there initially uh in the winter, maybe around January. Um when it was a bit easier. Um and then I was looking to go I was looking to go um this summer, obviously when you know for preseason and to settle in. But I was not granted a visa and uh that made it impossible for me to travel, which obviously shut those opportunities down there, which I'm um, a bit sad about. I mean, I know those connections are not all gone, but we'll, you know, we'll have to see what the, what the future holds with Germany. Mm-hmm. I decided to come back down to England um, for more opportunities. Uh, currently, I'm 
uh, playing training with uh, Hungerford Town in National League South. Uh, it's been quite good. Um, all the club has been very, very open with me, very, very welcoming, which I it would, you know, which is a, it, not a surprise, but it's nice because some, you know, sometimes we you don't always get in, invited or greeted well where you go. So it's it's it was it was a good it's a good transition for me. Um, but yeah, so now I'm playing in in yeah now I'm down south. There you go. When you were in Germany, did you get to trial with any of the teams that you had lined up for yourself? Or was it because of the visa and because of COVID traveling, you weren't actually able to get over there? Because I'm sure, you know, even my time when I went over to Denmark, it wasn't exactly a great time, especially for Americans. But it seems as if during the the timeline of, of COVID here, if you're from the UK, that's that's one of the toughest places to to travel out of to go anywhere so were you able to to get over to germany and trial with any of the teams that you'd lined up for yourself because i know you worked crazy hard to to get those connections you know you and i were talking about some of some of the the hoops that you were trying to jump through just to be able to to get those trials lined up Woo! oh no honestly no I, I, honestly it's a lot of finessing even even to get to where i am here in, in england no unfortunately i was not able to trial um, I was only there for a couple of days talking to um, the guy I was talking to help me get trials and I had to come back um, and I was looking to go over the summer to go for trials. Mm. Unfortunately, like I said, I was denied a visa um, and couldn't, uh, couldn't get over there, especially with the COVID restrictions. And I think Germany in England, Germany was one of the, uh, one of the uh, countries on the Amber Alert or yeah, I think, or England was. So I don't think they were taking people coming from England or the UK unless they had, you know, uh, a medical emergency. Either they were German themselves or um, they had a spouse yep. who was there. So um, I actually, I actually even, you know, I booked my tickets and I tried to lie. <laughs> I tried to. <laughs> what did you try to say? Oh, yeah, we're going to meet my wife. She's doing yeah. <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, I tried to say, oh, you know, I have a boyfriend over there because I have a good friend. <laughs> I have a good friend. Um, actually, funny story, a childhood friend uh, who grew up with me in Jackson, who lives in, in, in Berlin. And we hatched this crazy idea you know, <laughs> that we were in some sort of romantic relationship. And you know, that he was, you know, he had a doctor's appointment or something. And obviously it didn't work. But yeah, you know. It kind of just shows, you know, it just shows the hunger, you know, just, it just, you know, sometimes you have to try things out. It almost worked, but yeah. unfortunately it did not. So Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, my, <laughs> me getting over to Denmark was essentially a similar situation. Like one of the <laughs> few, um, like there was a list of reasons why you could be able to go. Right. And so it was kind of a gray area that me and the coach that I played for tried to try to use as a loophole where it said you can come over if you are employed, like if you have a job in Denmark. And, you know, for most jobs, it said you had to have your work visa, your work contract or something like that. But it said if you're a professional artist or you're a professional athlete, you know, sometimes you might not have that work visa or work contract or whatever so if you can prove that there's a working relationship something like that 
um, then you can, then you should be granted access. So essentially what we did was I had the, the club write a letter because, you know, any, any money that I was going to get or anything that I was going to get, wasn't going to be like, I wasn't going to be on a visa and I wasn't going to be getting a check and, and paying into the Danish tax system. So, uh, he wrote a letter essentially saying, yeah, this is Brendan. He's coming to play for our club, blah, blah, blah. And he's going to be a player. And, you know, the first day when I used it at the airport for, it was different because, uh, my tests weren't on the correct date that I needed, but then I used it and I was somehow able to get into, into the country after many times of being questioned about what is this? Are you sure you're allowed to come right now? And I don't know, but it's true. You, it, you just, it points to that hunger that you said, and none of us ever thought that we'd have to try and maneuver around a pandemic, but sometimes it's just, you got to do what you got to do to try and get yourself in the door. Yeah, no, honestly. And that's, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of craft sometimes, you know, cause even yeah. when I came down here again, I don't have an agent. I don't have any, you know, there's no, I don't have any friend or that, you know, that has some sort of networking or so even to, at Hungerford town, I was, I came very late to preseason. I think I only played in the last two preseason matches, which was very late, especially because of the pandemic. They had their players since maybe June, mm-hmm. July. I was coming in at August, September. <laughs> and, um, I had done some research on the, um, on the coaching staff and I realized that it's very hard to just approach teams um, especially now in a digital digital age where you know they're uh, an average team their reach in terms of players is far greater than there it was maybe even 20 30 years ago yeah now you know everyone needs a highlight tape everyone needs you know game film and your resume matters more now than ever did before you know back then you know you hear stories of people getting picked up in random parks. Now, you know, you need to, you know, be a part of this academy, yep. you know, this player. And obviously coming from Scotland was good because at least I had game film and I had a bit of a resume, which helped me. Um, but I was still very unknown, especially in England. And it's a very difficult, it's very difficult coming from Scotland, going to England rather than starting in England and a team and then going to Scotland. Mm-hmm. Because the, the the football in Scotland, which, I, by the way, I think is unfairly um, put this way, but I think the football in Scotland is is rated a lot lower than the football in England. Which, okay. to be honest, I don't really, I don't really, uh, I don't really agree with. I know there's obviously a lot less funding in Scotland than in England, which obviously, you know, plays a factor, but. I don't think I don't think Scottish football gets the credit. Enough credit, yeah. Um, so I had done research about the um, Hungerford staff, and I realized that one of the assistant coaches does one-on-one training, similar to to my business that I do. Um, and I kind of I kind of acted. So I I told I messaged him on on Instagram and said, oh, I was, you know, I just moved to the area. Um, I, you know, don't know any, you know, looking for, I'm looking to, you know, keep my touches up 
you know, looking for trials, you know, to, to, you know, clubs in the area. I don't know many. And obviously knowing that he's a hunger yeah. fruit coach, he was like, oh, like, oh, you know, what level have you played at? And I was like, I, I told him about me coming to Scotland that, you know, and I played semi-pro before here in England, before I went up to Scotland and signed that deal. And then um, he goes, oh, well, I may have to know teams. And, you know, I was like, oh, really? Like, what what teams, you know? What are, what are the chances? Yeah, well, oh, what are, what are the odds, you know? Player looking for a team, coach looking for players. Like, oh, match made in heaven, you know? I had to kind of sell it a bit, which mm-hmm. which worked out in my favor because I, I ended up, you know, getting a um, – going to training um I, it took it obviously day by day like a trial first training session i went to i did well I told me to come back came back the next the second day and they said i did well again so they put me in a trial match got put in a trial match did really well got an assist i played right back which is not my preferred position but i found i saw it was an easier way in the door mm-hmm. um and i did well had an assist at right back which was good and I uh, played well. We didn't uh, concede any goals. And then he decided, he said, yeah. He told me, um, at least he was very honest with me. He said, listen, you know, um, you are very late to preseason, obviously. Um, I already have my kind of lineup that I want to go with. Um, he goes, but, you know, you're a very good player. I would love to have you. But obviously, I think you, um, at least for now, um, have uh player games with like a reserve team and Hungerford Town in the National League South doesn't have much funding so it doesn't have a Hungerford Town reserve team mm-hmm. what they did was they set me up with a uh, lower division team to play with play my matches with and then I train with Hungerford Town so eventually maybe in the, in the season because it's still sixth division and it's still considered semi-pro I can um I wouldn't have any problems um, playing in both the like loan matches and also the Hungerford matches yep. as the season goes on. So um, funny enough, um, playing in one of those loan matches, I actually got scouted by Swindon Town, which is in the English League 2, um, which is funny because, you know, I was kind of feeling down about it because I was like, oh, I wasn't, you know, I didn't impress them enough to even yeah. make match day squads yet, you know, in my in my loan matches, I'm getting scouted by teams two leagues above. Full time football, English League Two. So you know, for me, I didn't understand it either. And I even asked the coach. I was like, well, I I don't get it. Like, and he said, um, it's all a matter of opinion. Obviously, um, football is a game. It's a very subjective sport, especially when it comes to coaching. Most players most um, most managers will have their kind of set players or they'll they'll have their favorites everyone does and you know sometimes if you're not that favorite it's tough luck and obviously me coming late to preseason as well I never got a chance to even you know be really considered yeah so I have those coming up so I'm looking very I'm looking forward to which is good but yeah so on on that front it's been going pretty well it's been up and down, but going pretty well. Um, a lot of setbacks that I had to um, get over. Obviously, yeah. England. Um, not being able to go to Germany was a was a gut wrencher. Um, coming to England again, 
again was hard with no context. Um, I heard a lot of no's before I got a lot of yeses, which obviously, you know, hurts every time you hear it, but it, it gets less and less hard to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that exact thought that you just brought up and how, how do you go from, you know, cause when we were speaking, when you were first kind of speaking about this Germany opportunity, and especially when we did not think that COVID would have lasted as long as it really has and still be in our lives the way it is today. But how do you go from being that excited for an opportunity and, you know, knowing that it's the next thing for you and feeling like the, the stars are kind of aligning, the pieces are coming together to then, cause we've all, we've all done it. You know, we've all had an opportunity that we're excited about and then it falls through and you just have to kind of pick yourself up and move on to the next one. And that's what you had to do when it was Germany, fell through and then coming back to England. But how do you, you know, how do you do that? How do you flip that page and have the confidence and the, and the focus to be able to say, okay, I know I've put everything into this opportunity, but now it's time to go find the next one. For me personally, um, it was definitely a learned skill. It's definitely tough. Um, most people, obviously, when they get a door slammed in their face, you know, um, theoretically, or the proverbial door. Yeah. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, which is normal, is, you know, they kind of sulk, they sulk in it. They, you know, obviously kills motivation. And it, it does for me a while. You know, there are days where, you know, if I found it tough to get out of bed, definitely, you know, especially because I thought it was a, you know, done deal. Um, but for me, I think what kept me going is, obviously interpreting my emotions, but not only that, but also thinking, always thinking what's next, what's next. Okay. This didn't work out. What are my plans? Because sulking about it at the end of the day, doesn't help me laying in bed, not working out, not training only hurts me for the next one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, very quickly I had to, and also luckily I, you know, I have good, I have a good, um, support system around me. I think that's very important as a person, as, a, as an athlete to find your support system, friends, family. Um, and, you know, I had a good support system. Obviously, you know, when I deal with a setback, they hear it too. You know, they're there to give me advice, put things, put things into perspective, but also keep me positive, keep me hopeful, which is good. Um, but I'm definitely a very positive and hopeful person. So, I, you know, I said, well, sign a good contract in Scotland. I can do it again. Maybe not where I wanted to, but, or not the way I wanted to, but I can do it again. And I just kept going. I had to start all over again, go up to clubs, cold, you know, you know, uh, and no, you know, it's just tough because obviously people come, you know, when you do go up to clubs blindly, Obviously, there's some people who won't understand and be like, well, what are you doing? Or think I'm, you know, they thought I was crazy. And I, you know, I didn't care. I said, listen, I, you know, I want a chance. Me emailing uh, clubs, emailing coaches, um, messaging players, you know, just to get advice on, you know, how to get scouted or agents and stuff like that. And like I said, uh, putting myself out there 
was always the hardest part. But if you put yourself out there in a positive way, usually you'll be surprised on you know how receptive people are. Because I've gotten a lot, a lot, of, a lot of love and a lot of uh, support from strangers who I emailed or DM'd or messaged, saying, you know, look, player to player, how did you do it? You know, how did you get scouted? How did you look for an agent? How did you do that? And obviously, it takes humbling because as a player, you never, you know. It's always competitive. You never want to admit that they did something or they know something that you don't. Mm-hmm. So I had to swallow pride, which to me gets easier and easier every time I do it. But for me, I'm I'm a student. I'll, I'm always a student. So I can always learn from someone, especially from someone who's played at levels I haven't played at. Someone who's at the end of their career, played a long and you know, industrial, even just today, actually. I actually emailed, uh, no, I DM'd um, someone from the U.S. national team who actually plays for Fulham. I don't know if you know Tim Rain. Yeah. He used to play for New York Red Bulls. And I emailed about him because he actually started a mental health um, business himself. Mm-hmm. I just asked, you know, more about it. Because uh, as you know, I started my own business. And that has many layers and comes with many challenges as well. Part of the reason why I started my business as early as I did, because truthfully, I had the idea of this business since I was maybe about 19, 20. This was something that I had, uh, I knew I wanted to do, especially because I knew that my playing days were always going to be limited, whether I played five minutes or five years. I knew that at some point in my life, I'd have to give up playing and I have to do something else, you know, and owning a business in football about football was something that I definitely always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why I started it so early was because obviously now I'm, I'm old <laughs> as much as I don't want to admit it. I am old. I'm not considered a young buck anymore. I'm 23 turning 25. <laughs> in two, uh, in two you know, months. just let me stop you there because I think everyone when hearing you say that was like, oh, okay, he must be taught, you know, for those who haven't listened to the first Khadib episode, oh, okay, he must be talking to a 27, 28, you know, year old player. And then Khadib just pops in here. Yeah, I'm old. I'm, I'm 23. And <laughs> while all of us can laugh at that and, and say how ridiculous that is, there's a, a sliver of, of realness to that just because of the world of football, right? When you see players like Jude Bellingham who burst onto the scene when they're 17 years old, mm-hmm. that like that's kind of where that starts to creep in when you start to think that you're a lot older than you are at the age of 23. And it, it messes up my head sometimes, to be honest, because I think about it when I'm in footballing situations and I'm like, you know, in terms of the real world, I'm not, I'm not that old, but all yeah. of a sudden you have not, there's just a dime a dozen of 19 year olds who are coming into teams every, every other day. And you're like, wow. And especially with the way the American system is set up where those who go to college aren't really, you know, jumping into the pro game until they're in their twenties. It's uh, it's an interesting dynamic, but Sorry to interrupt. Continue talking about, about the biz. I totally agree. Because in, in the grand scheme of things, when you talk about jobs or career paths in general, we are still very young. 
yeah. very young. We still have a full life ahead of us. But in the in the footballing world, in the sports world, especially nowadays, where they focus more on young talent. I know, especially when I turn 24, because 23, I'm, I'm, I'm at the cusp. Mm-hmm. Especially now that, you know, because they still have, what, reserve, reserve football is still U23. Yep. So that's still considered young. But for some reason, I don't know, don't tell me why. Don't that, ask me that. Why. Terrible 24. <laughs> as soon as you turn 24, Kobe year, as soon as you turn 24, your age now becomes a negative tick on your CV. Now I know when I come into clubs and they see 24, depending on the level, they're going to say, well, he's, he's older. I'm not at the peak. I'm not at the, I'm, you know, I'm at the highest of my career yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. And um, it, is, it is obviously a tough pill to swallow, but it's definitely something I have to be very realistic about. Um, and part of the reason why I started my business is one, deal with financial instability mm-hmm. everything is going everything is smooth and smooth sailing once you're in a contract especially in these lower divisions contracts only last usually a year and by year i mean nine months from yeah. september to may mm-hmm. and obviously that's at the older i get the more the financial instability eats at me personally obviously everyone's different you know, some people have the luxury of living in the UK with their parents, you know, so, you know, they sign a contract or let's say they sign a semi-pro contract. That's all they have to do. They, you know, they still have, they still have um, their rent paid for by their parents. They don't have to really buy much food, groceries, whatever. Um, unfortunately, I don't have that luxury. My mm-hmm. parents are still in America. Um, so I have to be, uh, again, I have to be reasonable about it. And to me personally, you know, uh, the financial ability is, it gets harder and harder to deal with as you get older. Yeah. Def- because I definitely don't, you know, I definitely don't personally, uh, want to be in a financial unstable place by the age of 26, 27, if I can help it, even 25. And, you know, like I said, everyone's different. And it comes back to what are you willing to give up mm-hmm. for this journey? And that's something that I don't want to. I don't want to be 28, 29, no savings, you know, no, no, you know, no savings, no, no, no future plans financially, at least. And obviously people want to say life is not about money and they're right. It shouldn't be. But obviously in this world, Financial stability is one of the biggest forms of freedom someone can have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in talking about, you know, as we just spoke about the, the idea of aging in as a professional athlete, I am hoping, and I, I would like to think that it's starting to hopefully change because of the way that athletes are now playing longer into careers than they ever have in the past, you know, players are, are playing well into their thirties and still being highly productive. So I hope from that sense, the, the narrative can kind of shift that by the time, you know, you're 28, it's like, all right, you're two years away from retirement. Um, but I do think that the financial piece of it is something that is why 
then, you know, cause even, I mean, you know, this, you can, you can take care of your body well enough that you could play. And I could do the same thing that I could play for the next, however many years, like that's not really what I'm necessarily worried about, but it it's true. It does start to weigh on you about, because as you said, money isn't everything. It's not as if I need to, to be a millionaire. I mean, I would, I would love to be one. And I hope to one day work to a place where I can have, you know, a business for myself or a career for myself where I can make money. And, but really it comes down to just living comfortably and having freedom and financial freedom and allows you to have that, that sort of freedom that you're seeking where when you're jumping from lower league contract to lower league contract, there is no freedom in that. There is just, you're spending every dollar that you get into housing yourself and making sure that your body is the best condition that it can be. And then preparing for the next opportunity and preparing for the next club. And it's why you see in some of those lower leagues, depending on the country, a lot of those teams are comprised of those younger players because the older players just aren't really up for it in the same way. And I think for both of us, whether or not we, you know, keep playing or not, it's because we've done it for however long we've done it, that we start to realize those things, you know, like when we were 21 or 20, we never would have thought like this and it would have been, I'll go anywhere for however much money, but things change. Your priorities change. And especially when you do it for a while, you know, when you've been to, Italy, England, Scotland, Germany, you've, you've done the rounds. It's not as if you haven't exhausted all opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the truth. And, you know, and that's a tough, that's a tough pill I have to swallow, especially because I do have opportunities coming up soon, but I know that mentally I'm going to give it my all for these opportunities, but if they don't come to fruition, I might have to start thinking more about, my business unless about my own career per se and obviously me saying me saying that I spent the last two or three months having to come to terms with that mentally and obviously that is tough Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not as hard as I thought it would be especially because I still am doing what I want to do with my business that was still my goal because obviously I you know I would have loved to play until I was 35 at least but even then, my business would have been 20, 30, 40, 50 years into my life. Because at 35, you're still also considered young in your life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, I have come to terms with it and I do feel good about it because I still am chasing my dream. So obviously just, it might be in a different form than I thought it would earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, that's probably the reason why I started the footy creed which is my the name of my business and it's it's obviously it's a very unique name um a lot of my friends and family kind of laugh at me for the name but um you know what i i, I found i found the name through um actually a tv show i never was a star wars fan never watched any of the movies um i did watch the mandalorian okay. i don't know if on Disney Plus, and I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. In in Star Wars, like I said, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a you know fanatic like I, 
So I, I'm, I'm only have the basics, but a Mandalorian is not people. Use, people thought uh, the Mandalorian were like a race of people in Star Wars, but it's a creed. Mm-hmm. Creed, how? And I and I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Like, what's a you know what's a creed? And I looked it up, and I like the idea that a creed is a group of people not bound by uh, blood, race, religion, gender but a group of people bound by one specific cause, mm. one specific calling. And I like the idea that people in my business, I want to be a community. I want it to feel like a community, but with athletes bound by, not by religion, gender, or anything like that, but bound by the ability and the drive and determination to strive for more, to get better every day and to chase dreams. I think that's mm-hmm. the overarching theme and goal of my business that I want to do. At the moment now, I'm in, uh, I do a lot of small groups and one-to-one training with kids aging from 10 to 18, 21, actually some of them my age as well. Um, and that's just the beginning stage of it. Um, I found it a good way, especially now, to keep training while also getting paid for it as well. Yeah. Um, but my, my end goal with, with my business is, is to give people opportunity to help people. Um, it was kind of something I always did, whether I was in Italy, Germany, um, in America, uh, even when I was in high school, I would train myself and, or, you know, some, some local kids or some younger kids would see me training in a park or in a field. And they, you know, they'd ask me about the drills I was doing, or they'd ask if, you know, they could come in and help. And I obviously like, yeah, of course. And I would always end up everywhere I went, I'd always end up having four five, six, seven people who'd come just to, just to get trained by me. And I always thought, you know, and for me back then, you know, I just thought they're helping me out. Cause I now I can do small sided games. I can do passing drills, you know, with people, I can do dribbling drills with people. Uh, but also I was helping them out as well. Mm-hmm. And most of the times they're always like, Oh, you should think about doing like, you know, you should become a coach. Like you should do this. And, you know, I always kind of laughed at that when people said, Oh, I should do that. And I was like, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. I, I like, I like that aspect that I can help. I can help improve a player's first touch. I can help improve their shooting. I can give them tips, but only that. I also like the fact that I can learn from them. Yeah. Especially me coaching kids who are much younger than me. One thing they taught me is what happens when you play with confidence. When you're a kid, generally, when you're a kid, you don't have any fears, you know? You don't have, you know, you don't have the fear of losing the ball if you try this move or, you know, trying this shot out and not not having it come off. Mm-hmm. They play just because they love it. And me seeing that in them makes me a better player because it makes me realize that, yeah, I shouldn't play scared or I shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes, which as you grow older, a lot of athletes suffer from, whether, you know, whether that be um, – things that coaches tell you to play a certain way, not to do certain things or to try to do certain things instead of just 
playing the game the way you want to play, learn from your mistakes, learn on your own. And that stuff is something I want to combat. Um, I do small group sessions and I also do um, like player athlete consulting. So I've a couple of clients now who come to me who you know, all over the world who uh, come to me for advice and that could be mental. And I think mental health, especially in sports is very missed, especially in the youth Academy realm. Yeah. Obviously now I think they're doing a bigger push than ever before, but I think that is something that is very severely lacked still to the, in the, in this game. And, you know, most players won't know it, but a lot of players do suffer from depression, even at the professional level especially when there's a lot of uh, different pressures from fans, clubs, agents, family, you know, especially, especially when it comes to a point where the game gets more stressful when money's involved. Mm -hmm. It's so the game is so easy and so fun to play when you're playing with your friends that you grew up with. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild. And we got to change that here. And Manscaped's going to help you do that. So first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below the waist grooming. And that is because of their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400K LED spotlight, so no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? Pop in the shower, you've got the light as well, easy, and you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that Weed Whacker, the Manscaped Weed Whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin-safe technology, which is going to help reduce with nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate, sensitive areas. Now, last but not least, we can't forget about the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. A lot of you guys, I know you've got a routine with your recovery, right? You've got pre-game rituals, you've got post-game rituals, a recovery routine that you do after, right? Hop in an ice bath, whatever it is, you have to add your below-the-waist care to that. You've got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes and then you come in and you're sweaty and disgusting and you're not taking care of yourself you got you got to do it and manscaped like i said is here to help you in that department and who knows maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game watching you play you know you play good 90 minutes maybe you bag a goal i don't know you want to be ready you want to be prepared you don't want to be in a situation where you are left without manscaped now just because manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you the Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped Boxer Briefs, and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time 
gentlemen, because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I think I expressed this the last playing for money and, you know, playing, playing, playing uh, amateur for, you know, and yeah. So that's definitely something I want to get involved with and definitely grow my business in that general direction. Yeah, I, I love that, man. I, and, and building upon what you've said, how you're trying to consult with players in terms of, uh, especially in terms of mental health realm, I think is, is so important. And again, is something that can be added to the game in so many different ways. And like you said, now you're starting to see clubs are hiring sports psychologists and they're making it more readily accessible for players to be able to speak about things. Because I think what for me has been so eye-opening is again, as you just spoke to, for me, I kind of had a, maybe a naive view of what being a professional soccer player was going to be. Right. I grew up and I loved soccer. I loved playing with my friends. I went to college college soccer is, I mean, to me, it's like, how can you beat that? You you have all your best friends there. You're playing every day. You're competing. You're going to class. There's pressure, yes, to win, but there's not real, real pressure. You know, there's not real stakes at hand. And I kind of, again, as I said, naively thought the pro game is just, you do this, but you get paid. Yeah. And and uh, again, I, I never want to speak ill about this career because, I mean, what is better than kicking a ball around for a living? I, I can completely understand that. Yeah. However, there is many layers to that. There's, there's many layers to that onion of being a professional soccer player. And what was so eye-opening for me was as mental health has now become a little bit less stigmatized and a little bit more normalized for people to actually speak about it, you would see players like, you know, Christian Pulisic say, yeah, last season I went and, and I spoke to somebody multiple times because it's really hard for me living in London on my own and my family's across the world. And it's a lot of pressure to play for a club like Chelsea. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that is a player who right now is unquestionably the best player in the United States. He's playing for a team that just won the Champions League. You know, he is what everyone thinks of as that's where I want to be. That's the goal. And once I get there, how can you experience mental health issues? How could you experience anxiety, depression, anything like that? And and it was just, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was so eye-opening to me to see that, that no matter how high you go, there's going to be players that are experiencing that. And I think it's hard for people who are working a nine to five job to even comprehend how an athlete like that could, you know, cause, cause the, the, always the thing they're going to jump to it. Well, I mean, you get paid to play a sport. How can you be upset? How can it be a tough life for you? 
but it is, you know, you, you've experienced it. And then I've experienced it. It is, it's, it's not what we thought it was going to be. And in a lot of ways that there's been things that have been surprisingly, you know, amazing about the career that we didn't really know was going to be, but there's a lot of things that I was like, wow, I I did not know that this was what I was going to be getting myself into. And I didn't know these were going to be kind of some of the feelings that I was going to have to try and process as I'm going through becoming or trying to become a professional athlete. So I love that. And again, the way you spoke about describing your business, I love that it's not just, yep, show up to the field and I'm going to train you. It's, it's more because that idea that you spoke about the creed, it's, it's, it's deeper than just I'm a footy trainer. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, I think that's the biggest difference. A lot, I think a lot of, a lot of people um, in, in similar job descriptions who do train players, it ends when they leave the field. And that's something that I knew I'm not, that I'm not the type of person that does that. I never want to do that. I give a lot of my athletes homework. You know, I um, recently, I had an athlete who was playing locally where I live um he's only about 10 11 I think he just turned 11 and after my first session with him I told him I said what are your goals and he said well, what do you mean and you go, well what are your goals what are your short-term goals what do you want to achieve next week what do you want to achieve this month next month and he said well I don't know I haven't really thought about it I said well I said this may you know may sound funny get a journal get a diary, whatever you want to call it. You can call it your, your, your man book, you know, obviously <laughs> 11. So he's going to find it funny. You see me calling it a diary. I told him to get a diary, write down your goal. What would you like? Because writing it down is the kind of the internal visualization of what you want to accomplish. And funny enough, he wrote down, he wanted to get in, he wanted to get into Reading football Academy, which is one of the, premier football academies in the area where mm-hmm. I live currently. I think after three or four sessions with him, he got scouted by Reading actually. And now he's training with their youth academy team. I think he's training with the under 12s now. And obviously he didn't expect to reach his goal so quickly. And obviously there's more layers to that because uh, he's training with the team now. Um, once he um, impresses, or makes it to, I think he's currently level one, I think it's called. I think that's how they do it at Reading Academy. Once he gets to level three, he can actually start playing in Reading Academy matches against okay. Southampton, Chelsea, uh, Bournemouth, Brighton, different youth academies, obviously. And that's where you get seen, that's where you get scouted, and that's how you come up through the ranks. So obviously, he made it foot in the door. Yeah, still a long way to go, but but long, yeah. But yeah, one thing he said that helped is writing in his diary. Um, that definitely helped him. And, you know, shout out to him. He, he's, he puts in the work, puts in the time. And, you know, I, I, I give my hat to him because I'm not an easy person. Um, my philosophy is if I, if I don't make you uncomfortable in my training sessions at least once or twice, I'm not helping you grow. So I put him in a lot of uncomfortable situations for a 10, even for a 10, 11 year old put a lot of uncomfortable situations to see how he deals with it. Obviously a lot of times he's doing uh, different drills and different sessions for the first time. So he's going to fail. He's going to be terrible at it. I don't see obviously the failure. 
I see how he deals with it. Does he kick the ball in frustration? Does he try it again? Does he lose his cool? Or does he realize, okay, this is something new. You know, I, 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 right now I suck at it. Honesty is the best policy. Right now I am terrible. Could be shooting. It could be dribbling. I am terrible. But next week I'll get a little bit better. Next month I'll be able to do it half, half a step faster. Mm. And he has the perfect mindset because, you know, like I said, I think it's been now two months I've been training with him and um, he started coming every other week. I think at first, after the first three sessions, uh, his parents said, listen, we'll start doing this every week. Um, and I said, I'll be happy to do that. And now, like I said, he comes every week. Now he brings some of his, his, his friends along as well for, like I said, for more training purposes. And he's been improving exponentially and for me as a as a person i can't get a I, you know i only give him the guidelines he takes all the credit because he's the one doing the work mm-hmm. you know i'm just sharing my knowledge sharing my knowledge on the pitch off the pitch he's the one doing it and for me i love the fact that i can help someone like that who you know didn't have the knowledge before and that's something that why i started this business i grew up playing with my dad my dad did not play an organized game of football, soccer in his life. <laughs> I learned soccer through a book. I remember it vividly because it had Thierry Henry, David Beckham, and a bunch of other stars on the cover. <laughs> I, started, I started playing soccer like I was a scholar, mm. like I was learning to, to, to take the SATs for the first time. I flipped on the book, read about tactical awareness, shooting, you know, how to, how to, um, how to stand out amongst your peers. I also looked at the, the, the sheet with different drills for one person, two per people, three people, so and so forth. And I just studied them and I did them religiously. That's all I did. And it got me, you know, I, I credit my dad because obviously, you know, as a kid, I needed that push. I would love to sit here and say that, you know, I was always so motivated, so determined that, you know, I did everything by myself. I'd be lying. It takes a village. Yeah. And my mom and dad never, never let me give up. That's one thing, you know, I, I really thank them for because, you know, a lot of parents or a lot of different, you know, circumstances, they said, you know what? If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Or do as much as you want to do it. But I made. I remember. I remember this day vividly. I was walking in my local park, actually where I first met you. Oh, okay. In in Jackson, New Jersey, and um, I was maybe about five or six. I think that's my first year of uh, rec, rec rec soccer. My first year, and my dad noticed. He was like, "Oh, you pick up things quite well. Like you, you have a, you have a little neck to this." And he said, "Would you want to like do this competitively?" And I looked at my dad and said, "Yeah." I want to be the best I can. And he said, are you sure? I said, yes. He said, okay. From there, every summer, day in, day out, my dad would take me to the field when I was, you know, when, when it was midday, burning hot July, you know, ju- just to put me in environments that made me uncomfortable, just to see what I was made of. Because obviously, mm-hmm. kids love to play outside. They only have to play outside in the heat. <laughs> 
and he made sure it was the hottest time of the day just to make me uncomfortable. And that's something that, you know, I'm so proud to have, you know, because he didn't, like I said, he didn't know many about the routes to take to go professionally. Mm. All he knew was how to give me the best opportunity to get better at what I want to do. And that's what I want to give back to the world. I'm very fortunate to receive that from my family, from my friends, because like I said, it wasn't just me. There's some days where I didn't want to go. My friends were like, listen, you have a chance. Let's go. We'll go, we'll go to the field. They took me a lot of my time. You know, I was very late getting a car because I went to boarding school. My friends used to pick me up, take me to, you know, training sessions, games. Sometimes my parents, my parents both worked, traveled an hour and a half to New York to work in the city. Mm. A lot of those weekends go to tournaments. I had a carpool. I had to go with my friends. I had to go with my coaches. I had a bum rides. Sometimes I took rides with uh, opposing teams. That was <laughs> you know, st- crazy stuff like that. Just, just to get better, just to, just to do, you know, do what I love. And that's something that I want to give back to people. Eventually I want to, you know, I want to create a community where I can give people opportunities. I can help, uh, make like a bulletproof training regimen for my athletes, teach them things like determination, motivation, what it takes to make it in any field and give them not only the opportunity to go professional if they want to, but also to gain things like scholarships to independent boarding schools, to universities, especially in America, getting a scholarship is the difference between attending university or not going to university at all. And I know you know that because yeah. it is expensive yeah and that's definitely something i would love to at some point be able to give back to people so yeah that's that's my goal so what do you think because and and we've just laid out a little bit how the goal of what your business is is obviously much more than than just a training company or just or just a consulting company or, you know, a a scholarship company, but what do you think your program, your business, what separates it from the others who try to do similar things to what you've done? You know, is it the fact that you are trying to bring the whole footballer from point A to point B and all aspects of it, you know, on the pitch, off the pitch, those types of things or what do you think is it separates you you know for example if if someone comes to you and says well why should I come and train with you versus you know Joe Schmo or or this other guy who has xyz on his cv and on his resume I think I think because of the holistic approach um a lot mm-hmm. of different a lot of different um um companies we either like I said, do on the field training, which is amazing. You know, they give the best on the field training, but it stops as soon as you lace up your boots and, and put them back in your bag. And some other companies will do a lot of the mental health side. Yeah. You know, they have the best therapists, but they don't, they don't either have the knowledge or experience to relate that to on the field pitches. And what I want to do practically, I want to at some point make an agency that helps both. Because even now, I talk to a lot of agents for my personal gain and also for my own knowledge. Players signed up to the same agency. 
have no contact, have no uh, contact. So let's say the same agent has Aaron Ramsey, someone who is a decorated player, played at the highest level, getting into his, you know, now he's, I think, 32, 33 years old. Mm-hmm. And the same agency signs someone like, let's say, Erling Holland, who is a world beater, but he's still 19, very young. Or Jude Bellingham, even younger. Mm. Right? Two of those players, great players, but they have no contact. So that means I would, my, how, and for me, that makes no sense. If I had, let's say I had two players in my agency, signed professionals, or even people who aren't pro, let's say someone who wanted to aspire to be pro or someone who was playing college soccer, why would I not be able to community where Aaron Ramsey could potentially give his, not only just his soccer knowledge, but his life knowledge to someone who is 18, 19, 20, who can learn from him, not only from me, but from him, other people in his, in, in the similar position. Yeah. You know, because uh, just as you know, growing up playing, as much as you learn from your coaches, you learn from your other teammates, you know, it was, it's, it's a collective. Mm-hmm. That's why you go to better teams. If you, you know, no matter how great the coach is, if the team training is not great, you're not going to get better. And that's, how, that's my approach, you know, and that's, that's why I focus very much on the community aspect. I want to build dialogue between the two merge. And that's yeah. definitely something that I think sets me apart from, from, from other businesses. Yeah. I think it's something that I try and do with, with this podcast a little bit is, is hopefully try and create a community and it's starting by having these conversations with people that are getting people to think about a lot of the things that you've just mentioned in this episode, you know, getting people different perspectives, getting people to think outside the box when it comes to the game. And you just speaking there kind of, kind of brings up this idea that it just, I think that if, let me ask you this, if knowing everything that you know now, I'm sure that you would do things so much differently or how much knowledge do you think you would have going into, like, let's say you wanted to start a professional career, kind of rewrite the script for yourself. Cause I think about that too. You know, I, I come from a family that might, yeah, my dad played a little bit of soccer, but you know, kind of similar to you. It wasn't like right now. I know if I had a kid and he was like, I want to be a professional soccer player. It would not be easy because it's never easy, but I would know exactly what to tell him and, and what route to try and take. I would know tons of coaches. I would know tons of play. You know what I mean? I'd be like, this is practically a red carpet for you. It's true. And that's why hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Obviously knowing the things we know now, and let's say go back, to when we were 16 obviously it would have made our journey maybe a bit easier or mm-hmm. a lot easier because we've already lived it those 10 eight, you know eight ten years that's part of the reason why i, I want to give it to young you know the next generation because like especially in america as you know soccer is still very much a money-making thing yeah you know to get into the best academies you have to pay for the best academies and you know one thing people don't realize, especially coming from an American standpoint, where sports-wise, even just for sports, you have a choice. 
there's about seven, eight different popular sports in America, and most of them pay more than soccer. Mm-hmm. So even though, yes, soccer in America is probably the most played juvenile sport in the country, most people, when they turn 10, 11, 12, 13, they choose a different sport because maybe the money's better. You know, it, it comes with its own different set of um, perks and, yeah. and rewards, you know? And one thing most people don't realize is the greatest professional athletes, the greatest athletes in general, are usually some of the, come from the poorest backgrounds. And, you know, if you look at, if you look at one general rule of thumb about their success stories is they either had one to two to three or like a small community that listen, you have a great skills, but they always had someone in the background to get them from a to B. Yeah. I want to be that transport system for players, you know, for, for Ronaldo when he first started at, at, at and I think about, if players were young now, how that would affect them. Ronaldo, it took him three, three and a half seasons to become a sh- even a glimmer of what he was at Real Madrid when he was playing for Manchester United. He was booed for the first three seasons. Mm-hmm. Of his Can you imagine 18-year-old Ronaldo now? Do you think he would have had three seasons? No. He would have got maybe a... Now, you, 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 you're labeled a dud. Look at... Uh, Kai Havertz, for example, he was labeled a dud because he didn't do well for the first six months he moved to Chelsea. Same with Timo Werner. And that's because, I mean, even then, Sir Alex Ferguson, for example, who had decades at Manchester United, do you think if he would have played Ronaldo game in, game out for two seasons and he didn't do well, you think Sir Alex Ferguson would still be at Manchester United? Yeah. Most managers don't even get six, seven months at clubs, but that's the nature of the game. It was, it's very different from where, how it was back then. And yeah. And, and I think our conversation has sort of sparked this, I guess in a lot of ways, I don't know if I fully understand football. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think, I think what I mean by that is that exact thought. Like if you bring a manager in, and he doesn't do well, let's say loses three, four games in a row, and then you sack him. Who do you think is out there that's all of a sudden going to come in and be a savior? You know, every other manager that's available is probably just the same caliber of what you just brought in. So I guess I haven't fully comprehended this idea of he's bad, get him out. The next guy will be better. Well, how do you know that? What if the next guy is even worse? And I think it's the same idea of what we were talking about a little bit with players. You know, there's this constant thinking of, oh, well, he's young and he's young and let's bring him up. Let's bring him up. Well, what happens when Erling Holland turns 24? He has been absolutely been a world beater for the last couple of years. But you're telling me that, oh, now just because he's getting into 24, 25, now it's time to go find the next best thing. When, when does there become this idea of, yes, we want young players, but event, the, whole, the whole point of developing a young player is so that by the time they are our age, they are the Kevin De Bruyne's of the world and they are the Leo Messi's when they're in their 30s. You know, I think, I guess sometimes I just get tripped up by the thinking of 
let's just always look for the next best thing when it's like the whole reason that you're training a young player is because you want that longevity in their career. And if all you're doing is picking up the next 18 year old, having them for three years and then chucking them out because you want to find the next 18 year old, it kind of just becomes a cycle that, that doesn't make sense to me. And I think the same is applicable to, as you said, managers, if you have a bad run of form and then all you do is sack them, what are you really learning? That's true. And I think that's, I think that comes with the, I think that's one of the back, the backlashes about the digital age Mm. because now the average reach of scouts per team is way beyond the normal scope it was 30 40 years ago yeah everyone is kind of looking at the best thing rather than developing their homegrown players they already have look at look at look at transfers in teams nowadays manchester city won the premier league last season right yes look how much they spent look how much they spent last summer on transfers alone and they won the competition and I guarantee you they're going to spend probably just as much next season getting whoever else they want to get. I, yeah, I because- think, I think to be a city Academy player, I would be, I would love it because I've seen, you know, things on their social medias about their Academy players and their Academy players go on to play for super successful clubs, but it's typically never with city, you know, Phil Foden is the anomaly for Manchester yeah, city. True. Because they're going to go out and they're going to spend big money in foreign markets. And yeah, it's, it's, as you said, the, the digital age has created the same idea that all of us have about just social media in general, that scouts just say, okay, well, he's not performing well, so I can go and get somebody from Argentina, or I can go and get somebody from Slovakia or wherever it's, I wonder if that is a beautiful thing because it has so many opportunities for players or if it is a a detrimental thing and maybe it's a combination of both. (laughs) Well, there's always pros and cons. And especially in England, we see it now when it comes to youth and young players. Now, because especially in England, it being the richest league, players, I mean, teams are now not afraid to spend money on foreign talent at the height of their games. Mm. But obviously that comes at a cost with youth development. So that's, for example, that's why Jude Bellingham went to Germany. That's why Jaden Sancho left Manchester City. Because he knew as good, no matter how good he is or at that time, he's not going to be a Kevin De Bruyne. He's not going to be a Raheem Sterling. He's not going to be a Riyad Mahrez, who they just kept bringing in new wingers every year. Yeah, You know, because those guys have already been through the development. They're at the peak of their careers. So to gain, to gain experience, first team football elsewhere, he had to look to Germany. He had to look to Spain, you know, and that seemed really helped him because obviously he went to a place still great level, still champions league, but he was given the freedom to express himself, one, first and foremost, I think that's important for a player, especially a creative player like him. And two, he was put in a position where he could fail. He wasn't going to get punished. He wasn't going to get out of the team if he didn't do well one week. You know? And that also does, because look at, let's say, 
Look at Raheem, uh, Leroy Sané at Manchester City. Mm. Arguably one of the best play. He had arguably one of the best seasons at Manchester City. Didn't get picked for the German national team, which was uh, ridiculous. But even then, his playing time at City was very up and down because if he didn't do well one one week, he wasn't in the squad. Yeah. And you know he talks about that in great length in uh, a YouTube um, interview that I talked to, which is why he ended up leaving. Because if you you know if you didn't do well one week. He was penalized. And I get that. Of course, it's all about form. But at the end of the day, we're talking about people, not robots. Look at Harry Kane. Harry Kane was linked to City. And now that he's not doing well, people are destroying him in, you know, in the social media, you know, realm. Look at Dele Ali on the same team as Harry Kane. Do you remember one season? Deli Ali was linked to Barcelona on a transfer. Yep. The next season, he didn't do well. Look what happened to him. He became a ghost. He went from people talking about him going to Barcelona for 80, 90 million pounds at the time, which would have been a record transfer, to not even six, seven months later down the line, people are asking themselves, who is he? Yeah. Should we loan him out? You know? Yeah. And that's the and that's the that's the nature of the beast. Do I think we can change it? No, but I think we can definitely help players adapt to the environment that they are currently going to be in, and give them all the tools and knowledge to beat the system. Yeah, yeah. How to avoid those pitfalls? How to avoid? Because it's very easy, especially what people don't understand. Who go? And no offense, to people with nine to five jobs. I don't. I don't, I, I, I always commend people because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, you know? So I, I would never speak ill upon someone who has done a corporate nine to five job. All I will say is they won't understand because especially when it comes to football, that's very subjective, very, very um, up in the air. Mm. It is a lifestyle. You can't just clock out of being a professional footballer. No. You can't. It doesn't end when you when you finish training. It doesn't end before training. You were saying we were talking about how, and and it's something that I experienced as well, especially in Denmark. That y- you your identity becomes as a footballer. You know, I, I spoke about this in an episode once where I felt as if, again, a, a nine to five person could say, yes, I just, I work for this company. I go there, I clock in, I clock out. When I come home, I can completely switch that off. You know, I can, I can leave that at the office and that's not possible for a footballer because you become that, you become that word, you become a footballer. You know, if you are a insurance salesman, like you don't introduce yourself as, as a sale. I I don't know if I'm articulating it the right way, but you don't necessarily meet a person and, and feel the need to, to identify yourself as an insurance salesman, whereas kind of a footballer, there's just a different connotation to it. Any professional athlete has that different connotation to it. But I think I love what you said about, no, there's probably not a way that we can change the system when there's the amount of money that's in this, in the game, and it's only going to go up. And there's the amount of scrutiny that's in the game. You can't necessarily change the rules, but what, is starting to happen is you can start to 
you can start to change the way the players play by the rules, I guess, so to speak. Leroy Sané having that conversation with someone is something that wouldn't have happened 10 or 15 years ago. You know, Christian Pulisic talking about him opening up and speaking to someone is something that wouldn't have happened 10 or 15 years ago. Jesse Lingard talking about when he went on loan and how he was in one of the worst places of his life, but was able to turn around and now is back at Manchester United. Like those types of things did not happen in the past. Us having these types of conversations, talking about what it's really like to grind through the lower leagues and try and get a professional contract. At least when I was first starting, I didn't have a lot of access to information like this. I really didn't know what it was going to be like to go overseas in Germany and play in a lower league. I had no idea. So it was just me figuring it out. And I kind of thought, hey, if I share this with people, at least they'll know a little bit what they're getting into. And I think it's kind of what you're describing with your platform, with your business as well, is if we can start to normalize a little bit more what it looks like behind the curtain and give people an insight, maybe it will change the way that things are talked about and the way that things are presented. Because again, like we said, we're never going to be able to change the way Manchester city deals with players as if they're commodities, because that's just the way that it's going to work. But hopefully we can at least speak about it and say, yeah, as a person, it's not always great to be treated like a commodity and treated like I'll get dropped from the team one week if I'm terrible. And if I'm terrible for a few weeks, then I'll get sold, you know, as a person that sucks. But if I can at least talk about it, open up about it, it makes it better than just everyone looks at me from the outside and says, ah, well, he's terrible. And now he looks like he's depressed and okay. Now he's been sold and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. No, it's true. It's very true. And and that's what I want to give back. Because obviously, I think the access to information is, is, is sometimes worth more than money, more than gold. You know, and that's what I'd be giving to people, especially, especially in places that don't have it. Like I said, in America, it's still very much in the in, in the beginning stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of players now, if you I don't know if you've seen a lot of young players now are bypassing the um, you know the college soccer route goes straight into you know Belgium people playing in Austria you know people are going to Denmark to play it's you know and that's I think it's great I think it's um, amazing because I think the system in, in America specifically um, needs to change definitely definitely in the sport of of soccer definitely mm-hmm. and and that's why I want to help as well so that is definitely something that I'm looking forward to doing and, and excited on this journey as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause knowledge is knowledge is power, man. Like you said, it's, it's, it means a lot. So where can people find out about your business? Where can they find you? You know, can they follow you on socials or if they want to maybe become a player that you consult, what are kind of the avenues they can go to seek out some of the things that Footy Creed can offer? Well, um, at the moment, I'm still I'm still finishing my website. That should be available in the next week, which is good. Um, I am currently on Instagram and Facebook at the Footy Creed. Very simple. Um, they can DM me for um, consulting especially because I can do that from anywhere in the world. Um, 
but yeah, I think um, they can. That's where they can reach me. Awesome, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for for popping on again and for sharing your knowledge with the listeners. Again, you just heard him. If you liked this conversation, liked what Kadiv has to has to offer, he has incredible amount of knowledge, experience and expertise in terms of the game and all of the things that he's done so far in the game. So if you want to reach out to him, go check out the footy creed and yeah, Kadif, thanks again, man. Keep us, keep us posted on the upcoming trials and the, in the season. And I hope everything goes well for you, my friend. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Yeah. Happy to, happy to have you on for round two. Yeah. All right. I'll see you soon, my friend.